Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Curtis Wild, and you are watching and listening to Next Gen Dems, a podcast that's going to talk about uh, all things of the next generations of democracy, including the Democrats, and including uh, an area that Democrats uh, hold close to our hearts uh, on top of many issues. We are, are very pro-union and pro-collective bargaining, pro-labor. Uh, we are here with Glenn Coggy Jr., not to be confused with Glenn Cage Jr., which is what I called you for about the first <laughs> month that I knew you. Right. Because uh, I had only seen your name on paper, uh, and I didn't know what your last name was. But Glenn Coggy Jr., president of UAW Local 2250. And uh, welcome to the show, Glenn. Thank you, Curtis. I look forward to a good conversation. Absolutely, absolutely. Right. So before we really kick into the show and, and uh, the, the question-answer aspect of it, I want this to be a very educational experience for everybody listening and watching. Uh, tell us more about unions. How did unions get started? Take us down a stroll on, on History Row. Well, unions have started, they go back many, many generations but they actually started gaining traction around the turn of the century. And a lot of people realized that the roots of organized labor were buried deep in social movements. At one point in time, had children working in sweatshops and mines all around the United States. And it was organized labor that pushed for laws to get the children out of the mines and into schools. It was organized labor that pushed for uh, women's rights and, equal, and women's suffrage. And a lot of people seem to forget that. It was the own, our own UAW president, Walter Ruther, that marched with Martin Luther King in demand for civil rights for voting for the African-American communities. Absolutely. So our roots are buried deep in social movements. And the goal of organized labor, a lot of people have this misconception that we're only there for our members. It's not true. Our goal is to fight for the rights for all working families. Mm -hmm. It's to, to float every boat in the harbor, mm -hmm. to use an old phrase. Rising tides float all boats. Yes, sir. Uh, now, kind of tell us how it, how it works in conjunction with some of these other movements. You mentioned that labor was part of the women's suffrage movement. Uh, they've kind of been there on the, uh, on the, the front lines um, for most of, of the civil rights movement. Um, so tell us how all that kind of intertwines and tell us how uh, a union can, say, raise the, the wages of local families or a local community can get better because of a local union coming in. And Right. Well, it's kind of interesting that you put it that way. Um, there's a candidate running in Iron County, 144th District. His name is Jim Skaggs. Real nice guy. He's the presiding commissioner down there. And I went and was talking to him. We had a nice lunch. And he talked about the fact that he started out, he'd never held a union card. And I'm not campaigning for Jim, I, <laughs> I, which I really like the guy. But the point that you're asking is kind of goes right along with the conversation that we had. As a young child grew up in, in Iron County, which he's been out there his whole life, he saw the economic boom that organized labor brought to the county when Pilot Knob was building a big smelting plant and uh, the influx of cash into the economy. And he realized then that that was, you know, organized labor is really a good thing. Mm -hmm. And it does because the middle class is built on the back of organized labor. Manufacturing is built on organized labor. Um, our, a perfect example is our nation never had the economic woes that it has today when General Motors was the number one private employer. Mm -hmm. Now it's Walmart. Yeah. And when you take all those $60,000 a year UAW jobs out of the economy and you replace them with $16,000 a year Walmart jobs, you're losing the economic stimulus on $44,000. Absolutely. But you're also losing the tax income on that $44,000. And that creates a huge hole in the economies of your city, county, and state governments. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you have schools closing. 
You have uh, roads and bridges that are crumbling. You know, it affects everybody. Our first responders. Trains that are derailing. Yes, sir. Absolutely. And, and there's life loss in, in some of these instances. Absolutely. So organized labor, um, while it has its share of issues like every other section of society, the majority of the work that we do is, is beneficial to all of society. Yeah. Now explain uh, to some people, because when I first started running for office, I wasn't uh, in the know as much as I should have been. I knew the importance of organized labor. I knew the importance of collective bargaining and the safety measures that were put into place because of organized labor, OSHA, things like that. Um, but I, honestly, when I sat down to do my um, interview with Tri-County Labor Club to, to get that endorsement, mm-hmm. I had to have them remind me what prevailing wage was. And that's a shame now because I know exactly what it is. I I know the details of it. But kind of explain that to the people who might not know and and show them how prevailing wage actually brings up their wage. Well, prevailing wages is a policy that's been set forth for many, many years. I don't know the year that it first started, but basically when there's federal funds that are going to be spent on or government money spent on a project, whether it's a school, a road, a bridge, a hospital, any kind of federal funding provided, even on if they're going to be federal funding on a, a stadium for baseball or football, um, there's prevailing wages rules that are set in place. And those prevailing wages guarantee a certain minimum wage. That minimum wage is typically based on the average wage of the building trade set forth by wages set out by the unions. And it's to protect the economy. It also does another thing. It prevents companies from out-of-state bidding and bringing in really low-wage workers and doing this work on the cheap. And it protects the consumer that's actually having the work done, the county entity, because if they have somebody come up from Oklahoma and there's an issue, and I don't mean to pick on Oklahoma, but from out of state, and there's issues with the warranty issue or anything like that, are they ever going to get them to come back and do the repairs on it? Whereas Mm -hmm. if that work is done by a local contractor, guaranteed the wages, guaranteed the work is going to be done, it's going to be done by quality uh, skilled trades craftsmen right Mm -hmm. in the St. Louis metropolitan area. And that's one of the benefits of prevailing wages. Yeah. Uh, that's under attack by the Republicans in the Missouri House of Representatives right now. Yeah. Another thing under attack is project labor agreements. A project labor agreement is an agreement between the labor unions and business entity that's going to have work done. And they guarantee that there will be no strikes, any, any jurisdictional issues will be resolved without a strike or slowdown in work. Typically, project labor agreements ensure that a project is done under budget and under schedule. So there's benefits to everybody when they when they use these. So, yeah. Yeah. so the project labor agreements and prevailing wage are two of the things that they're going to attack this time. Um, but one of the things that they attacked last time is already already something that we're fighting, um, which is right to work. And in Missouri, as most of you know, it's right to work for less. Yes. So yes. explain that to, to the viewer. Explain what right to work is. Any mis- uh, conceptions that are out there we're going to dispel those right now we're going to tell you exactly what it is right. so. well the first thing about right to work is the name of it yeah. everybody has a right to work there's nobody that does not have a right to work if you want to work you work i always look at right to work and i think one of the best analogies of it is a homeowners association if you're looking at a neighborhood and the realtor takes you out and they say well this does have a homeowners association that homeowners association typically has guarantees and rules and regulations that guarantee your property value is going to stay up. Um, the houses are all going to be built to certain specifications. Um, there's sometimes a park, a swimming pool. 
uh, playground equipment for the children, bigger sidewalks, more street lighting. Um, and there's rules that protect the homeowner with that. And you pay a homeowner's association fee to, for the upkeep on all that. Mm -hmm. Those are amenities. The neighborhood down the street might not offer any of that, and you just don't know what's going to move in next to you. You don't know how that's going to work. And, and I that neighborhood doesn't have a homeowner's no, association. No, there's no homeowner's association. They're free to do whatever they want. Mm -hmm. Well, when you go to buy, and people say, well, they shouldn't force you to pay union dues. If you're going to buy a house in a homeowner's association, you do so knowing that you're going to pay these homeowner's association fees. But you also know that's going to guarantee you amenities for your family to enjoy that the neighborhood down the street doesn't have. Right, right. And So well, what they're trying to spin this, and, and I've gotten some of the anti-right-to-work mailers, or I guess they would be pro-right-to-work sure. uh, mailers, um, and how they're trying to spin this is that you should have the freedom to not have to pay union dues. Right. Um, but the thing that they're missing is that you also have the freedom to pay union dues and to get those amenities and benefits right. that come with being a right. union. And I don't quite understand how the Republicans that want everybody to be free um, or, or want everybody to, to have their own personal freedom uh, don't want you to pay your way. Don't want, uh, you know, they, they want uh, yeah. what they want, but they don't want you to pay your way. Right. Uh, kind of going back to the Homeowners Association, when, when you make a decision and people say, well, you should have the choice. Well, when I make a decision and my choice is I'm going to buy the, the house in the homeowners association because I can be sure that my property value is going to be protected because of the homeowners association, I do so knowing I'm going to pay those fees. Mm -hmm. If I live there and refuse to pay those fees, the homeowners association can put a lien against my house. The day I sell it and move, they collect whatever back fees are out there. Um, and you, we don't have that option with right to work. Right to work would allow somebody to move into that homeowners association, not pay the fees, but still get the benefit of all the amenities. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you suggesting that the Republicans are backing something where people are getting free stuff? Absolutely. And not paying their way? Absolutely. The uh, right to work enforces organized labor to represent the non-union, the people that refuse to pay dues. Mm -hmm. We're still forced to represent them with the same enthusiasm that we represent our members. And they still get insurance. Yes, they still sir. get they all get of the, yeah. all the benefits of our collective bargaining agreement that was negotiated with wages paid by our union dues. And they get all that. You know, people mm -hmm. seem to forget labor unions are nothing more than a service providing organization. Mm -hmm. The service we provide is representation of our members. They should be forced to pay for that representation. They should not force. They should want to pay for that representation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, if you go to a gym, you're going to pay the membership. Not, not, uh, not under right to work. If you have Netflix, <laughs> you're going to pay the membership. But sure. you're right. That's what they're trying to do. And I figured out at the end of my last race when, when I lost to Nick Schroer, uh, 64 to 36, um, that they're not doing it just because they don't like labor or they don't like the labor movement. They're doing it for power. I realize that I, I had a little back and forth with Robert Cornejo, uh, Chris, uh, or, uh, Chris Finelli, and Nick Schroer uh, the day after the election, and I really got it. Some of the things that they said really came home for me. Uh, it is about power because they know that you guys are a Democratic organization. Uh, most of you are, are very pro-Democrat um, because of the things that we stand for, have stood for over the past. Um, it's all about power. They know that if they can lessen the power of the unions, that you guys aren't going to be able to financially support uh, candidates that are going to fight for the unions, fight for the working man, and that's how they maintain power, is if they can lessen your power, then you're not going to be able to be as strong of a force uh, 
uh, for a Democratic candidate uh, or sure. even an independent or sure it's you know <coughs> they weaken us they weaken us by these right to work laws and people say well how does that make the union weaker people should have the choice of whether they want to pay dues or not well back to the homeowners association and I'm not going to beat that to death when you make a decision to go to work at a facility a factory for a company that has a union, you do so knowing that you're going to be paying dues the same as you would know you're going to do the homeowners association. Exactly right. The way they weaken us with these laws is it's kind of like a wheel, a bicycle wheel with all the spokes. Mm -hmm. It works great. As long as all the spokes are intact, it works great. But with, Start taking those spokes start out. Start taking those spokes out, and pretty soon it becomes unworkable, and it becomes weak, and it's not able to do the job that it's there to do. Can't keep and that's, rolling. No, and that's exactly how they come after organized labor. Yeah. That's exactly how. They just take spoke after spoke after spoke. They make it easier for those spokes to come undone, and that's right to work. Well, let me ask you. There's other states that have implemented right-to-work <laughs> laws. Um, how are those states doing? Well, they do not fare as well as the states that do have uh, <laughs> that do have protections against right-to-work. No. Say uh, it isn't so. Oh, it is so. And, and <laughs> the people that are benefiting, uh, you can look at the wage gap, the gap in income versus the income for workers versus income for CEOs and corporate executives, and you can look and see the, the disparity in that. Yeah. Um, so no, those states don't do near as well as the states that uh, do not have right to work. Exactly. One thing I think is kind of funny, when you talk to people and you talk to the Republicans and you say, well, what in your estimation was the best time in the country? And a lot of times they'll say, well, the 50s and the 60s, and it was, we were out of a war, People were working full employment, didn't have all the people on welfare. That's another thing they like to point at is all the people that are on welfare and stuff like that currently. But if, if there were more union jobs and sure. less, less people having to rely on, say, Walmart, yeah. Yeah. Um, then that wouldn't be as much of an issue. Yes, sir. Throughout the 50s and 60s, 35% of the country belonged to member, were members of unions. We had good pensions. You could get out of high school. You could get a job working in a local factory or at a sawmill, a shoe factory, a construction company. You could work 30 years and retire with some semblance of a decent pension and live nearly as well as you did when you worked for the full 30 years. Mm -hmm. That's all gone. Yeah. And now we're down to where union density is about 10% in the state of Missouri. When you take out the state and federal workers, we're around 7.5%, 8%. So it has gotten to the point now where through their laws and their anti-labor legislation, they have beaten organized labor down to the point where it's hard to even hold elected officials accountable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's hard to hold elected officials accountable these days anyway. Um, but if we don't come together in a collective bargaining type of situation, how are we really going to hold them accountable? Right. Um, now, now, what was the peak of organized labor? What was the, the time when you would call the golden age where it was up to about 30 percent? Late, late or 60s, so? early 70s, and then it started dwindling real slow. It was a very slow uh, drop off in organized labor. And then it really hit, started downfall in 1980 when Ronald Reagan became president. Mm -hmm. And one of the first acts that he did was to break the air traffic controllers union. Yeah. And he opened a door and showed the way for corporations that how they could do this. And at that point in time, and you can look, there's graphs and charts out there to back up what I'm saying. Um, the union density started a downhill slide. Another thing that has hurt us really bad is the free trade agreements and the shutting down of all the factories. Manufacturing has driven the economy in this nation for years. Mm -hmm. You know, at the end of World War II uh, and coming out of the Depression, you can always look to manufacturing to bolster the economy. We don't have that anymore. We're becoming more and more of a service sector society than we are 
manufacturing based. Absolutely, and that, that's a shame because America at that time was producers. They, they were producers of automobiles, they were producers of uh, uh, lumber, uh, paper, textiles, things of that sort. And these days, we are more of a service-based economy, where right. if you want a good job, you're going to be looking at, at a waitress right. or uh, working at Walmart. And that's not a good job, but if you want a steady job, those are the things that are available nowadays. There's not a gas station that I walk into that isn't hiring. Right. Um, but, but if you want a good, steady income that is going to provide a middle-class lifestyle, you're really not going to get that out there if you don't get involved in a union. That, that's absolutely correct. And, you know, unions are still fighting it. Our fight's not done. It, um, we may be on the mat. We may be backed into the corner, however you want to put it. But there is, there is a movement, and you can feel the energy, and you can feel the positive energy that's coming out of this. And, you know, we're going to take some lumps along the way, but we're, we're not done fighting. And there's people out there that recognize what labor does but it's our responsibility to let them know as well. One of the things um, quickly about me is I w- was involved in the U- UAW when I was in Fenton at the Chrysler St. Louis North Assembly. We made Dodge trucks. And I was involved in union leadership there, and when they announced that they were shutting our plant down, it was almost like the, the, a suicide of a friend. And you're asking yourself, what did I miss? What did I not see? What were we not doing that we could have protected ourselves? We were building Motor Trend Truck at a year, a few years earlier. Our quality was high. Our production was high. We were doing a good job for, for Chrysler, but we were doing something didn't work. And I started thinking, we don't pat ourselves enough on the back. We don't talk about the good things that we do for the community. And people look at organized labor, and even at that time, going back to when they shut down Ford and Hazelwood before they shut down the two Chrysler plants in Fenton. People were saying stuff like there was literally an editorial in the newspaper, and it said those jobs are so easy a monkey could do them, and they're not. That's ridiculous. It is ridiculous. The point of all this is we give so much back to the community, Mm -hmm. Uh, local 2250. Tell us a little bit about that. Well, man, I really think it's important, and I I really appreciate the opportunity to talk about the good things that we do. Um, I appreciate being that that, uh, opportunity and that sounding board for you right here at Next Gen Dems. Yeah, well, the uh, the UAW is set up with a, a number of different committees, and one of our committees is community service, and it does exactly what the title says. We adopted over 250 children this year for Christmas. Uh, the they got Christmas presents. They did. Tina Hayes is the uh, chairperson of our community services committee. She's in touch with a lot of the different charities and stuff around the Wentzville and the St. Louis metropolitan area, and she these give her a list of names of children that don't have anything. And she went out, and we have an adopt-a-child program. She collects slips of paper, puts down the kids' names, how old they are, and they what their wish list is. And then the union adopts them, even General Motors did it, and we couldn't have done it without GM's help, in all fairness. Right, right. And we went out, and they gave us a room that we could put all the toys and stuff in. Um, and then right before Christmas, these children received over a 1,000 gifts is what we collected. It's thousands and thousands of dollars. Um, my wife and I adopted two children, and they got blankets. And the things they ask for will break your heart. It's stuff that we get every day. Our, our kids and grandkids never go without, mm-hmm. and they're asking for literally underwear and socks. Toothbrushes. Exactly. Yeah. So it kind of breaks your heart to know that there's children in the w- richest nation in the world that 
lack for those essentials. Uh, Mayor Guccione from Wentzville came and toured the holding room where we had everything set up, and he literally had a big tear in his eye, and he said he did not know how much work we did and how much we put into that. I'm fighting back the tears right now. i got to be honest with you. I'm telling you, Curtis, it's, it is a, uh, it's a tremendous thing that our membership did, and it's not one person. It is all of our members. We represent about 4,000 members out there, and I can't tell you how important it is. And some of them may not have enough money to adopt a child themselves, but they might chip in 10 or 15 or 20 bucks or a group of them get together to go and towards adopt that a child. Pot. And it goes towards taking care of the children. There's somebody that says, I don't want to shop for kids. Here's some money. And Tina collects the money, and she goes out, and she makes sure she takes care of it before school starts. Shout out to Tina Hayes. Yeah, and UAW Excellent Local 2250. Yeah, absolutely. We have uh, our Veterans Committee participated in the first ever Wentzville Veterans Parade. They had never had one, and they had a Veterans Parade. That's awesome. Um, we do a lot of stuff for the community. My old local, we adopted veterans that were served, or uh, active duty members that were serving in Afghanistan and Iraq. We sent over 3,000 care packages to Afghanistan and Iraq, and a care package was an ice chest packed with sunflower seeds, coffee, tea, uh, peanut butter crackers, you name it. A bunch of goodies. All kinds of goodies. And some of the letters <laughs> that you get back from them would absolutely break your heart. Save me a job. Um, I'll, buy you, I'll buy you some white castles when I get back. I mean, literally. <laughs> and some of them would break your heart because you would read it, and it would say, it was like Christmas, and I had so much I shared it with everybody here. I was the most popular guy in the platoon, you know. So, That's so cool. You know, labor gives so much back, and our women's committee participates in the Habitat for Humanity where they go out and they actually help build a house. Yeah. And it's funny when you see the pictures, all these gals that you never think about it, and they're holding hammers and they're putting up insulation. And, That's you know, cool. it's we do a lot. A lot of community outreach. We do, and... we do highway cleanup with our conservation and recreation committee. Um, we are engaged. The Democratic Central Committee has actually adopted a, a mile of highway recently. Well, good. So we're going to start doing that as well. So our goal Four is... Four times a year. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. Our goal is to engage the community. It's yeah. not just to work to engage our members. We, you know, we love our members. We love the opportunity to represent them. And, and I have the ability to represent some of the most wonderful people that you would ever know. And they all have stories to tell. On our website, we're starting uh, to put videos up. UAW, I'm going to, if it's okay, UAW, yeah, go ahead, please. UAW Local 2250.net. Um, jump on the website, check it out. There's a lot of videos from our standing committees and about the things that they do, but we're going to be doing a member spotlight. We have a young, a young man, um, just one of the most nice kid, nicest kids that you would ever meet, and he has been involved with the Special Olympics. He has no children of special needs of his own, but he got involved in it, and he fell in love with the opportunity to take care of these children. And he coaches basketball. And he does stuff all over the state of Missouri with these kids. And that's with somebody that, you know, I understand if somebody has a special needs child that, that they get involved. But when you have somebody that doesn't have to, doesn't have to, and he yeah. takes time out of his schedule and away from his family to do that, man, that's huge. Yeah. That's huge. That's brother. absolutely meaningful. So, so yeah. uh, what's his name? Chris Clark. Chris Clark, shout out Chris Clark. Right on. You are definitely a friend here on Next Gen Dems. And if you want to come on the show and talk about exactly what you got going on with that, I'd love to have you. Uh, All right, Chris. There you go, man. You got the shout out right there. He's a good kid. You, you'll, get a, you'll get a kick out of him. Awesome. So we've getting, we get to talk to and represent some of the most wonderful I may already people. know him if he's a UAW Local 2250 It's guy. possible. It yeah. is possible. But we want to engage the communities. We want to know, reach out to the communities and let them know what we're doing. I was on the phone with our Veterans Committee chair. His name is Ron Lane on the mm -hmm. way in this morning. 
and was talking to him, and he's getting ready. I'll not say it right, and he'll correct me. Um, a supermarket, a veteran supermarket. I think he calls it a stand down. But it's where we're going to open up our union hall. Uh, he's looking for a date in May or April or May, and we're going to invite all the veteran, uh, so uh, everybody affiliated with the veterans, American Legion, veteran VFW. Mm-hmm. Everybody he can to come to our hall. We're going to make it open. We're going to have booths and stuff set up where we can help them transition from military life to uh, civilian life. But also anybody that has questions for the VA. Um, he actually is shout out to Ron Lane. He was just elected to be the recording secretary for the inter, uh, Region Five Advisory Council on Veterans Affairs. Very cool. And he's a very nice guy. And uh, we're going to do that. Open that our hall up and try to help them out. We opened up our hall last year and had a job fair. We had a little bit of a slowdown in our band production, and they laid off about 300 temporary workers. Mm-hmm. So to give them a soft landing, we had a job fair at our union hall. We opened it up to the general public. We had 16 vendors. We had about 90 people come in and sign up that registered. We had a lot more people that just came in and toured and walked through the union hall. Just to check it out. Just to yeah. check it out. So our goal is to engage the community and let the community know that we're not the boogeyman down the street or we're not the people out there that are driving up to prices. Uh, our goal is and always has been to take care of everybody that we possibly can, and we're going to continue doing that. Excellent. Excellent. A lot of people, and you're right, you're right, a lot of people do see unions as the boogeyman um, going to the doors here in District 107. Uh a lot of the times when they would see had unions had endorsed me, a, various, a number of different unions endorsed me in my last campaign, um, they would say things like, uh, well, that's a, a mafia organization right. or, or organized crime. Right. So let's dispel some of those rumors. What, what do you say to well, somebody who says that? There was probably a time when organized labor, um, the mafia did have some infiltration into organized labor, but laws Hoffa. were set. Yeah, <coughs> Jimmy Hoffa, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Um, organized labor is under intense scrutiny by the Department of Labor. Every quarter we have to file LM2s, we have to file financial reports, government reports. We are accountable to our members in full transparency. Um, The general public has really not a clue as to how much work we have to go through and paperwork we have to file. When you talk about the Republicans and they like deregulations, they may like it for corporate America, but they sure as hell put us under a lot of pressure. And it costs organized labor a lot of money to adhere to the government rules that are put forth. Yeah. Explain that. Um, I know Mike Melson and I had a conversation about uh, around the time that Right to Work came out. And now he's going to have to, or whoever's in that position now, maybe yourself, uh, is going to have to go around to each labor union every year and to get them to re-sign on, right? Well, that was one of the things they call paycheck paycheck deception. And Mm -hmm. what it does is right now union dues are automatically deducted through payroll deductions. And they're trying to push legislation that will allow corporations to opt out of that where they do not have to have that done, where we have to send you a bill every month. You can choose to pay by phone. You might get it set up where it comes out of your checking account, or you can choose not to pay it at all. And it's just another anti-labor piece of legislation. So they're trying to make labor month to month. Correct. Kind of like Netflix. Correct. So you can buy it this month or not. Yeah, and you you get mad at them, you can cancel it next month. Look, we represent 4,000 people. I know with my job as the president, I don't always make everybody happy, and I accept that. That's part of the job. You know, and Unfortunately, you're not always going to make everybody happy. No. As much as you can try, you're just not going to make right. everyone happy. 
So my, my job and my goal is to represent the majority of the members to the best of my ability, and we do. And it sounds like I'm campaigning. I'm not, but everybody in organized That's why you're labor. on the show. You, yeah, we want to clear up some of these. Yeah, everybody in things. leadership of a, of a union enters le- leadership knowing that they're going to have to make tough decisions. They do so knowing that sometimes the decisions they make are going to offend people that may be their friends or may not. They may lose friends over the decisions that they make. But our, rep- our job and our responsibility is to represent all of our members to the best of our ability. Again, we're going to make decisions that not everybody's going to approve or appreciate. Because you can't play favorites. you got to nope. same for everybody right down the line. Right. Um, let's talk a little bit about prevailing wage. I mean, more so. We already kind of right. touched on it. But that's going to be coming down the line. They're already attacking it. Right. Tell people why they need to mobilize and unify against this. Right. Well, the prevailing wage, as we talked about before, ensures that uh, companies, corporations, anybody that is receiving federal funding or government funding for their projects will hire people and pay them a fair wage. The number one reason for that, obviously, is that the fair wages go right back into the economy, in the local economy. Uh, if they hire someone from out of state, the people come, make their money, they take their money back home with them. Not to mention the fact that it allows them to hire people at less than the standard wage. And, and that's one of the biggest issues that we have, uh, along with the fact that, as I said, it can bring in some transient company from whoever or wherever that doesn't have the skill set needed to do the work. You know, a little known fact that you can, is, I think you can check it out, when the Twin Towers fell, you had to be a union member to go up and operate to pull all the steel. They only had union members operating engineers union up there pulling all the steel and stuff out of the way because they didn't want some guy showing up and say, oh, yeah, I'm an operating engineer, not know what the hell he's doing and yeah. hurt more people. Yeah. Um, Hook his truck up to it, pull it out of right. there, the whole thing comes crashing sure. down. The building trades <laughs> have an apprenticeship program that is uh, has a lot of federal oversight to the apprenticeship programs, and they offer a high skill set of employees to do these jobs and do these projects. People don't even realize how high of a skill set they are. My wife and I went to, uh, I'm on the DNC, Democratic National Committee, and we went to the last meeting in Las Vegas, and we had the opportunity, because of our chair, Stephen Weber, working it out, um, to go to the Las Vegas um, International Training Center for the uh, United Builders, I believe. Which one has the great training center out there? In, I can't pull my phone out because we're recording on it. Yeah, in uh, Vegas, I don't know. Honestly, I really don't. I, I think it, it was the United Builders um, or Carpenters, um, and their training was top notch. Oh, it is. It was phenomenal. I've it never is. seen anything like it. UAW have something like that? The UAW does not have its own. Well, we have apprenticeship program for the skilled trades with the UAW, but when people come into work, they do have training segments and stuff. You know, we build some of the top quality vehicles in, in the country. We build the GMC Canyon pickup, Chevy Colorado pickup, mm-hmm. and the GMC vans that they use out there to haul. How we build the stuff that builds our country, Yeah. to be quite honest yeah. with you. And uh, we Motor Trend Truck of the Year. Our ZR2 just received uh, Motor Trend Truck of the Year for off-road trucks. So, excellent. Yeah. Excellent. Um, what are some other things coming down the pipe? Um, it, I know that I'm a big fan of sustainability and, and the new technology that's coming out that's going to allow that more. Um, what are some things that GM may be introducing? 
They are looking into autonomous vehicles, which are self-driving. I told you that was coming, audience. Yeah. I told you that was coming. <laughs> well, General Motors is looking into it, and there's different levels of autonomated vehicles. Uh, one of the issues that they're having right now is insurance liabilities. If you have an autonomous vehicle and it's in an accident, who's, who's responsible? responsible? Exactly. Is it the auto? Is it the driver? All the driver's doing is programming it in. They sit in the back seat and go. Um, I I believe that that stuff's all long time away from being put into place because roads, bridges, everything's going to have to be acclimated to these fully autonomous vehicles. In fact, I think I just saw... One of the things that they're looking into, I'll let you get back to it, um, are blockchain. I don't know if you're familiar with cryptocurrency. Um, but in cryptocurrency is like Bitcoin, uh, things like that. And it operates on the, the backbone that operates it is called blockchain. And it's basically a system where this computer, it, up to five or six computers, um, certify something. An action has been made. And then once it's agreed upon, that action has, goes through. Um, they're looking at blockchain for cars. So cars talking to other cars right. where if you pull into an intersection all these cars at the intersection know that you're there know Who's your position be the next one to go and yes right, right. yes it's amazing i tell people or i have been telling people um by the time my daughter's old enough to get a driver's license she won't need one right. because all cars will be automated by then right well um, she's five so we got like yeah, 11 years it's kind of crazy <laughs> i'll be turning 60 in a couple of weeks and as a kid growing up, when I was in grade school, we had slide rules. Yeah. We literally had slide rules. People today go, what the heck's a slide rule, you know? And uh, I remember the first time I saw a guy with a digital watch, and you, it was dark face on it. You had to push a button, and LED would read out, you know. Yeah. And, uh, the technological changes. Oh, Timex, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But the technological changes that we've seen just in my life is crazy. Yeah. Um, computers it used to everybody remembers the first apple computers were big boxes you know and mm-hmm. uh, vcrs and everything like that so i've seen so many technological technological changes that really nothing surprises me anymore mm-hmm. you know you talking about that these fully autonomous vehicles it's crazy they self-diagnose they tell you what's wrong um eventually they're going to be able to take their self for service Right. They're going to be able to service themselves. Well, in the seminar that I was at with General Motors, it was a joint seminar between GM and the UAW, and the people that were talking were saying stuff like, uh, you'd be able to get on your phone and call your car. It would leave a parking garage, come down and pick you up. You'd mm-hmm. get in it, tell it where you want to go, and it would take you wherever you want to go. That's exactly right. Drop you off, go find a place to park, and then it would come and get you when you were done there. That's exactly right. Uh, See that? Oh, go ahead. No, but they, even the kids, the kids get done with the, you would send your car to drop the children off at the theater or whatever, yeah. and then go pick them up when they're done. Yeah. You know, you would be it's able crazy. to send your car to a gas station, eventually a convenience store that is also stocked by machines, right. um, and it will load it into your car for you. Your car can bring things home to you. It's going to be absolutely amazing. It is. And, and the fear is always, what about the loss of jobs and the people that are going to be displaced by that? So what do we do in that case? Well, we have to up our education policies. You know, we yeah, have absolutely. to fund education. But there, there was a time, too, when the blacksmith, everybody said, well, we're never having the blacksmiths are going to be going. Well, they go out, they get retrained, and they come back into society. Mm-hmm. Look, I'm an electrician. I've been an electrician since 1980. Mm-hmm. Um, the changes that we're seeing and back to the thing about well that job's so easy a monkey could do it people don't realize that every job on the assembly line is got is tied into the computer system somehow mm-hmm. the people that are doing that 
have to know, have the ability to understand the technology of what they're doing as well. Mm -hmm. There's torque settings, there's critical torques that have to be done, whether it's the, the nuts, the lug nuts on your wheels or your steering assembly that the federal government has oversight on for a good reason. It's not often you hear about a steering wheel coming off of a car while somebody's driving it. Well, there's right. a reason for that. I even tried to pull one off. It's yeah, not good easy. Luck. Good luck. <laughs> so um, the technology is there. The people are going to have St. Louis traffic. That's all I'm saying. St. Louis traffic. Enough said. <laughs> yeah. No blinker. Get a new blinker fluid, right? That's right. <laughs> but the, uh, one of the things that you run into all the time is with these technological changes is people have to further their education. Yeah. We have to accept the fact that the days of <coughs> not being, the days of just being able to show up and be given a tool, a hammer and hammer and a nail are over. You have to understand how to read the blueprints. You have to understand everything that you're going through uh, with that to build the buildings or to build the vehicles. Yeah. So People don't realize somebody building a house has to know geometry. Sure. You know? And, and algebra. And, and, yeah. Right. It's yeah. not just a guy showing up. And that's kind of one of the misnomers, too. I mean, you, you still need people to load garbage trucks for now. For now. For now. Mm-hmm. Um, you still need people to be able to load a garbage truck or, or paint a house for now. But there will be a day when, hell, the might be able to set up a robot that paints a house. It'll have lasers that detect. Exactly right. Have you seen the 3D um, robot, the machines that build houses now? I have not. It's like a big 3D printer, and it just goes back and forth and lays the concrete. It lays the sides, and then it lays the middle uh, right. back and forth, zigzag. Yeah. Um, puts on its own roof, and it can do what they have done in either China or Japan. It can do like 12 houses in a day. Holy cow. Yeah. That's crazy. Yeah, and it that just kind of sets up. It's got huge wheels on each side, and it rolls down. And it just. I don't doubt it. I don't doubt it. It's like a huge 3D printer. Yeah, it's, it, it, the technology is just crazy. That's where my passion lies. i got to be technology? honest. technology? Yeah, and it, just the fact that we've got 3D printers that can build 3D printers. And huh. look, look at Star Trek. That's the replicator. Right. Once we get that perfected 10, 15 years, that's the replicator on the, the Enterprise. Yeah. We're going to be able to walk and say, I would like a coffee mug. And you just hit coffee mug, and there it It'll is. It'll print it right out for there you. There it is. Well, yeah. Right now, it probably take a day or so for it to print out a coffee mug, but it will only get better. It will get better. And in order for us to be able to keep up with the changes in technology, we need strong, educate, strong funding for education programs. Yeah. You know, there was a time when I was a kid in school we went through, we had vocational schools mm-hmm. and they learned how to build houses they learned how to wire houses they learned how to take dents out of cars they learned how to paint cars and work on cars learned how to set up print shops and, and run print you know with the old print plates and stuff learn how to put together radios uh, right. kind of from scratch right you know? exactly yeah. that's exactly right and we've gotten so far away from that that we need to look at my opinion of young Dems, Gen Dem, new Gen Dems. Next Gen Dems. Next Gen Dems, thanks. Um, we need to be looking for candidates that recognize that we're going to have to be finding ways to fund education to keep up with the changes in technology or our welfare roles are just going to t- continue to grow. Yeah, we need to p- Good example. Pave, pave the way for the coming future. Sure. There is no other alternative. Sure. It's either coming or we're going to have to stifle innovation right. and stifle inventions just to, to stay where we're at. Right. You know, people, a lot of people out there may not realize it, but St. Louis used to be number two in auto manufacturing behind Detroit. Wow. Yes. We I had, didn't know that. We did. We had four auto assembly plants. Uh, we had all the parts supply plants for them. And our economy was great. We didn't have all the people on welfare. We didn't have a lot of the crime and stuff that you had. 
um, today. And it's because people had a job. They had something they could look forward to. I, I truly believe that given an opportunity to collect welfare or have a good paying job, the majority of people are going to opt for a good paying job. Mm -hmm. There's pride that comes with that. Well, what I think is that, yeah, you're absolutely right about the pride. Um, there should be opportunities for people to take pride in what they do. And what I think is that eventually when we free up all these people who are working uh, jobs, say, at a gas station that is going to have machines uh, dealing with that, we are coming into a situation where um, people are going to be freed to work. They're not going to have to work. They're going to be freed to work. You're going to be able to do what you're passionate about and, and what uh, you feel you want to give to the world. And I think that that's what people are, are not seeing about innovation coming. Mm -hmm. I think that people are too worried about, well, what about the jobs that are going to be lost? And I'm looking past that. Okay, jobs are going to be lost. Unless we stifle innovation, jobs are going to be lost. How do we get past that? What are the next uh, industries of the future? Uh, what's my daughter going to be doing right. when she gets old enough to, to do the things that she wants to contribute to this world? Um, and then I look back to the lamplighters. Um, the lamplighters were a union, right? Sure. Um, they actually did that. That's what they did, was went down the streets and they lit the street lamps. And that was their job. They weren't happy when electricity came around. Right. Um, so we've got to look past uh, where we are to see where we're going. Well, the technology is not going to create itself. Right. And it's going to take engineers. It's going to take people with innovative ideas. It, sure. It's going to take that. Sure. And it's going to take workers to, to, to build it. You know, mm -hmm. the robot might eliminate three or four jobs on, a, on a, an assembly line, but it also creates jobs for people like me that take care of it. That's my job. Is I take care of six robots and to put windshields in the trucks and vans and back windows in the, in the trucks and puts the urethane, the sealant on the side glass and... You know, that's my job is to take care of those robots, plus the part of General Motors, uh, trim part of assembly in General Motors. And so you you're still getting in there getting dirty. You're not just sitting in an office, right? Uh, right. I, I have an office job that... Uh, Makes is, you get dirty still. <laughs> well, I have an office job that's 40 hours a week, but there's a lot of times when I go in and work in the plan. I go in and work overtime, and if they need help, I pitch in and do the help. I have zero... I got a good job. Look, I still like the leads. A leader leads, and yeah. I can't ask somebody to do something I'm not willing to do myself. Exactly right. So I have zero problem going in and getting in the pit and getting dirty, getting greasy. That's part of my job as an electrician. Um, there's people that are And actually, you probably miss it if you're sitting too clean in that office for too long. You do, man, you do. And you, you find yourself getting a little bit rusty because there's a lot of stuff, that, and there's changes. Even the, the technology is changing almost weekly on, on the, in the plant. Yeah. where they upgrade some equipment and they say, okay, we need to change this out on it. Well, if I come in after it's already been changed, it's new to me. Yeah. So I, there's things that I'm still learning and, and changes that they make is on the fly. There's a continuing right. education that goes into there is. To there any is. Uh, good industry that's going to be around for a long time. And I think one of the things that people don't understand uh, with the union jobs is that there are guys like yourself. They just can't sit in an office. They got to right. get down there. They got to get with the people. They got to get dirty. Right. And uh, that's where they came from. So tell me a little bit about your history, um, Glenn, from from a young man uh, to the president of the local UAW twenty two fifty. Well, I was a horrible student in school. I didn't like. That school. makes two of us, Glenn. Yeah, I didn't like school, <laughs> but I always liked to read. And did I, you test well? I would test well, but then when I that's where I was. I just. Yeah. 
I didn't do homework. I did just enough to get through school. Just enough. Yeah. And it wasn't because I was lazy because I had no problem reading. It was boring. It got boring eventually. It was. And then yeah. after school, um, I got into the electrician's union and the IBEW as an apprentice, and I really enjoyed it. I really enjoyed the uh, satisfaction at the end of a day of looking back and seeing how much pipe I had ran or wire I had pulled or terminations I had made. And uh, Chrysler was hiring in 96, and a good buddy of mine was telling me how good the jobs were, and I figured I was only like 38 at the time. I thought, well, I'm already too old to go to work. They want young guys at 38. Now I look at that, and I'm going, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> anyway, I put in the application and, and was hired at Chrysler. Well, I'm 37. Yeah, so. right? <laughs> and you're young, so... Um, I got involved, and I've always only been... Only as young as you feel. Yeah. <laughs> but I've been a union activist and a social activist for, for most of my life. And uh, when I went to work at Chrysler, uh, there was a paycheck deception. John Ashcroft was a United States senator. It was 98 or 99. He had proposed paycheck deception legislation at the national level. And at the time, I didn't realize what the campaign finance laws were, but I, laws were, but I wrote an article called Dues for Politics. And it was published in the Post-Dispatch, and I signed it, Glenn Coggy, UAW Local 136, and IBEW Local 1. I was still a member of both unions. And uh, the local union leadership, somebody brought it to their attention, and they said, he works for us. Who the hell is this guy? <laughs> so they came and asked me if I was interested in getting involved in their political arm of the UAW, and I did. And... and uh, it was something that I excelled at. I had already been working. I ran campaigns in the early 90s for people running for office out in rural Missouri and was successful in some, not in others. And um, as I said, I've always been a political activist. And I worked my way up through the UAW uh, ranks and was delegate to two conventions, financial secretary before they shut the plant down. I was president of the UAW City Cap. City Cap to was. Two union conventions. Yes, two UAW constitutional conventions. Yes. And I was president of the UAW City Cap, which was uh, over all the UAW locals in the St. Louis metropolitan area and handled their political action. And it was something that I really enjoyed. Well, after the plant shut down, I bounced around, tried my hand at small business. That didn't go too well. And uh, ended up as an organizer for the Service Employees Union. And I really liked that job and enjoyed it. But it wasn't making enough money to cover family costs and stuff like that. And... General Motors was hiring, so I put my name in for General Motors and got the job there. And I was there a couple of years and wasn't real happy with, well, I was there three and a half. Um, I was there two and a half years and ran for and one president. I wasn't real happy with some of the things I had seen going on. I wanted to be involved in the political end of it. And po unions or polit there's politics in every job career, every job, whether you work in a bank or you work for an insurance company, or you're working at the local gas station. There's politics that play a role in everything that you do. People ask me, with the, the professional wrestling, I'm an independent professional wrestler, and they ask me, uh, what would make an independent professional wrestler want to get involved in politics? <laughs> and usually my answer to that is, I've experienced more politics in professional wrestling than I ever have in right. politics. Right. <laughs> right. If you're not friends with somebody, you may not hit the certain venues that they're, that they're touring. That's in, you know? exactly and, right. And that was kind of what I faced, and... You know, I, I sat there for a while, and I looked at it, and I thought, I can talk about change, or I can get in the game, and I can work for the change that I talk about. And I decided to get in, and, and I ran, and I barely won. There were 3,000 votes cast. I won by 30. Um, the guy that I beat had been a mentor of mine and is a good guy to this day. 
and uh, we don't see eye to eye on a number of things, but, you know, that's what change is all about. If I wanted things the same in that, I wouldn't have ran. Right. So I ran, and my emphasis is now the same as I said earlier. It's on more transparency to our members, but it's also on getting them engaged, yeah. you know, talking to them about trying to get involved in the direction that their union is going. And it's about engaging our communities and letting our communities know that we're there for them, whether it's an open house for the unemployed. Um, in fact, I talked to a lady with the St. Charles Job Center about us hosting another open house in the fall, and she's all on board with it. So there's a lot of things like that that we want to do um, for our community. Our veterans chair is looking into the adopted, uh, not adopt, but the care package program for our troops serving in Afghanistan and Iraq. There are over 300 active duty members of our military working at General Motors right now. 300 is what he told me. To, and I think I'm saying that right. How many members? We have about 4,000 members. Okay, so, so a little less than 10%. Right. Right. But I mean that that screams to um, you know veterans are part of the union. Yeah, it's people been patriotic. Duty. People can't be pro uh, or uh, anti-union and not be anti-vet because there's a lot of veterans that well, are. We working are, training. and the things that we do for the veterans, and it doesn't matter. I mean, when we sent out when my old local, and I don't mean to keep harping on that, but I haven't been involved with our new local long enough to see everything that we do um, and have done for the past. I knew they, they say... When did you get elected? Uh, May of last year. So okay. it's coming up on my one-year anniversary. Happy so, early anniversary. Well, thank you. <laughs> and, uh, man, I'm excited. We are really doing a lot of great things. It took a little bit of while, but we finally started gaining some traction. And some of the policies that I've enacted and some of the things that I put in place, people are starting to see the benefits of them. And, again, this is nothing against the previous administration or the people that were in place. What are some things that you've put in place that you're well, one of the things you like talked about? Yeah, the, one of the things that we've done is I've encouraged our Veterans Committee to get more involved with the community. And, again, as I said, um, they helped organize and set up the first annual Wentzville Veterans Day Parade. He's in the process of working on a 5K, 10K um, run, veterans uh, run. And they're raising money to support the Veterans Committees and organizations around the Wentzville area. They went to uh, Branson, and they did something down there called Gummy Camp. Uh, Gummy Camp is a... For homeless veterans that come back, Gummy stands for Glad You Made It. Glad You Made It Back, I think. Mm-hmm. Something like that. I'm not saying it right. And Ronald, he'll call it. And they went down and they, re- they built porches and ramps and stuff like that. Uh, and that was something they had done in the past. Some of the new things that we're doing, we have the. I don't know, yeah. want to cut you really off, good. but um, most people don't realize how, how much you guys help, not just the community. But I, I was in this very room uh, here at Rendezvous Cafe, 217 Main Street, O'Fallon, Missouri. Come in, check it out. They're such nice people for letting us do this. Um, but I was in this very room doing call time, dialing for dollars, as most candidates have to do. Uh, unless you've got big money donors coming your way, you're going to have to go find them. But uh, I called one guy in particular. Um, I want to say it was Jorge something. Um, and he was actually just arriving on a plane in Puerto Rico to help with the damage down in Puerto Rico. Right. Yeah, a UAW guy down in Puerto Rico well, we there have, to help. We have UAW members in Puerto Rico. Yeah. A lot of people don't realize that. We have UAW members in Canada, Puerto Rico, and the United States, obviously. And we did gate drives. We sent 
around $5,500 was collected. A gate drive is where we stand out. Members stand out with buckets, and our members is, at shift change, they're coming in and coming out. They throw whatever they can in the bucket. We sent $5,500 to uh, uh, UAW local in um, Puerto Rico. They did the gate drive for the hurricane relief in, uh, after the big hurricane as well, so in Texas. That's awesome. Most people don't know that. So what are some other things that you've implemented? So some of the things that we're doing is the, the transparency, making sure that our standing committees uh, look at three things before they get involved with an action. And the first thing is how is it going to engage our members? Is it going to get our members to be more active in our union? The second thing is how is it going to engage the community? We want our community to be involved in some of the things that we're doing. We had our annual picnic. We had over 1,700 people come to the UAW picnic. Uh, we had an open house was open to the community. We had over 250 people came to the open house, and we had uh, some social organizations like the Coalition of Black Trade Unionists, Coalition of Labor Union Women, A. Philip Randolph Institute, um, some of the organizations like that that came up and set up booths and talked to the people as well. Uh, so transparency, um, accountability, those are things that we're pushing, and not one member, I'm not... I'm not above accountability to a member that's been there 50 years or one that just walked in the door. I'm accountable to everybody that I represent. That's right. And that's something that I'm pushing for all of our elected and appointed officials to recognize is Absolutely. that we, we're there to serve our members. We so. need to have a more representative government. And that kind of leads me to my next question, which is the only question we've gotten on Twitter. And if you could pull that up, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give a shout out to the person who asked it. Um, but uh, th this question is coming from Twitter. You can add us on Twitter uh, at N-X-T-G-E-N-D-E-M-S. That's at Next Gen Dems without the E in next. Um, someone took that one. I understand it. Yeah. Um, and you can also add us on Facebook. Go like the page at facebook.com slash nextgendems. You can check out everything going on with the UAW at UAWlocal2250.net. 2250.net, UAWlocal2250.net. And um, please feel free to check us out on iTunes. We're on iTunespodcast.com. Those are both audio only, and the video is available on our YouTube channel. Um, you'll just have to search Next Gen Dems, plural, uh, not Next Gen Dem. That's another one that's uh, out of the East Coast. And this question comes from, uh, what is this kid's name? Matthew Unterrenner. I had to click on his thing to see his at. At under underscore the underscore rain underscore. Uh, Matthew, shout out to you. And he asks, how do you explain union members voting Republican who have time and again pushed anti-labor, anti-union policies? That's a tough question to answer. Um, According to surveys done by the UAW, 32% of our members voted for the Republican candidate. 8% voted in the election but didn't vote for a presidential candidate based on the surveys. There's not an easy answer to that, but one of the things that I look at is uh, organized religion and the role that they play. Um, there's the old adage, God, guns, and gays, you know, that comes into my mind is one of the first things. And... Organized labor may not take a position on those issues. The gay, we're standing side by side in the gay LGBT community every day of the week. That's another organization and another 
section of society that we absolutely support um, equal rights for everybody, and regardless of what their sexual orientation or status is, that's not for us to choose. I don't. Yeah. I could give two. Cents. None of our business. Two cents, exactly. <laughs> Almost said something I'd be banned for, but uh, but when it comes down to actually stepping in the voting booth, I think we kind of forgot about the importance of not just telling our people to vote for Curtis Wilde, but why Curtis Wilde is the best candidate yeah. for that race. When people, if I, as a union official, come up and say, hey, I want you to vote for Curtis Wilde, they're immediately going to vote for whoever is against Curtis Wilde yeah. <laughs> because they don't want me telling them how to vote. So Nobody wants to be told what to do. No. Nobody wants so to vote it comes down to making sure that we're doing a proper job of educating our candidates yeah. or our members, but also selecting candidates that we think have the best opportunity to win. Yeah. I think if Bernie Sanders was the candidate for president, he'd gotten a lot more votes out of organized labor than Hillary Clinton. I agree. Um, you mentioned the 32%. Yes. Um, one of the studies that we looked up had as much as 43% oh, I of organized that. labor uh, not only voted against Democrats, but voted for Republicans. And what's interesting to me about that, and what's interesting that, that you brought up Bernie Sanders, is that 43% of Democrats voted for Bernie Sanders, and then 43% of all voters uh, in the union right. voted for Donald Trump. Right. So something tells me that, that there's some correlation right. there, perhaps not. Yeah. Um, but I, I would like to speak on that to, to answer that question um, from my perspective. And it's that too many families felt lost. They felt like a Democratic Party had sold them upriver. They felt like a Democratic Party was talking a lot of talk but not walking a lot of walk. Um, and not standing by organized labor when it came down to the votes necessary and was standing by big money. And, and I think that because we need a representative government, see, I'm a guy who's not afraid to criticize my own party. Because right. um, if we're not flying right, then we need to be flying Absolutely. right, and we need to be representing people to the best of our ability. Uh, and when people don't feel that we're doing that, they're going to vote for the other guy. Right. I think it's just as simple as that. Right. People felt forgotten by the Democratic Party. Some still do. Uh, but just know that there's people like myself out here, people like Glenn, that are going to be out here, and we're going to, to try to represent you to the best of our ability um, because we have seen the failures of, of the Democratic Party and of politicians in general. That's why I'm here. I got involved because of the things that were happening that I didn't agree with, not because I agreed with them, right. but because I had to get involved because I knew that it was going to take somebody like me to fight against those and to at least be an example to other candidates that you don't have to be clean cut, pretty, the perfect candidate. If you can get out there, spread your message and, and allow voters to know where you stand um, and let them know that you're going to stand behind them and fight for them on the things that are important to them, then they're going to come out and vote for you. Well, you and have I to be fearless. That, you yeah. have to be fearless. You really do. I mean, in today's society, people want to know, even if it's, hurts to hear it they have to know the truth yeah. and the democratic party has drifted away from the roots of organized labor they really have and that was one of the issues that that we have kind of funny that you bring it up and it's it's great to be here on next gen dems uh talking about this because it's been probably about 10 years ago i was invited to southern illinois university to meet with a bunch of young democrat slash labor slash activists mm -hmm. and uh they were interested in setting up. There was about 25 or 30 of them. Mm -hmm. And I sat on a forum where they were asking me questions, and there were a couple other people. And they were talking about setting up a labor party, a third-party labor party. That just came up recently. Well, well, yeah, but, so I was talking to the kid, 
and if I'm saying kids, it's not derogatory. I'm old, so I, I get a pass on that. I do that too at yeah. 37. So, yeah. If I got gray hair, anybody who doesn't, kid. Right, yeah. <laughs> so so uh, th- these young um, activists were asking, they were pelting me with a lot of questions, and, and they were wanting to set up a labor ticket, a labor party. Mm-hmm. And my thoughts on that and what I told them, and I go back and forth at times. I question whether I told them the right thing or not. Because if we had done it 10 years ago, maybe we'd be in a different position. But I look at third-party candidates are really tough. It's really tough for them to win. If they win, they don't control either legislature. So it's hard for them to get an opportunity to move their progressive labor. Whatever their third party represent, it's hard for them to move that legislation. And my advice to the the youngsters was to take that enthusiasm and take that energy and invest it into getting involved in your Democratic clubs and taking it back from the corporate interests that had it and rebuild it in the image that they think it should be. And now is the perfect time. It's supposed to be representative. It is supposed to be representative. Join this thing and make it what you think it should be. Right. And and if you have more friends, you'll win the vote. That's exactly People don't think the Democratic Party is as Democratic as it is, but bottom up. You are, are voted into Correct. every seat, and if you show up with more people that have paid their dues, um, the then right. you got the, the seat. There's a reason that I have six elected positions in the Democratic Party, and I did that in the first year. Yeah. And it can be done. So uh, don't tell me that you can't get involved. Don't tell me that the, the Democratic Party doesn't want you to or, or won't allow it. Um, because if you show up with more people, you win, and that's just all there is to it. Absolutely, and that's, that's what I tried to message I tried to get to them. And take that energy, take that enthusiasm, go into your Democratic parties, take the pro-labor and start pushing pro-labor. You know, it's hard to sit back and and complain about the Democratic Party pushing to the right or abandoning their roots when that door is open and you have every right to walk through that door, step down, sit down and help drive that agenda. You have that right. That's right. To get involved and drive the agenda and drive the focus because they will listen if you have the numbers. Yeah. The one thing that separates us. And they really don't have much of a choice per bylaws. Right. Per bylaws. <laughs> if you do it right, they. That's can, it. So the one thing that separates us from corporate America and the corporations that own a lot of both parties mm-hmm. is the fact that we have a voice. Yeah. And that voice can come together as one if we work together. If we fight hard for the candidates that are going to fight for us. So it comes down to making sure that we select candidates that are going to be electable, that are going to have a voice and have a message that can go out into the public, that are not that are fearless, that are not afraid to stand up and talk about organized labor and talk about the rights that we all want to enjoy. Mm -hmm. And uh, if we have candidates that are not in tune with that, Hillary Clinton had issues with trade. Trade's been horrible for manufacturing. You know, Bill Clinton signed NAFTA into law. Um, after renegotiating, to be completely honest, for stricter guidelines on labor and environmental rights in Mexico, but then he didn't put any teeth in it to enforce it. Yeah. So a law without teeth might as well not be a law. Right. And uh, we saw a max exodus of jobs leave our country in manufacturing sectors to Mexico yeah. because they could get cheap labor down there. Offshoring the American dream, offshoring the American economy. Yeah. So, uh, and we can do better. We can do better. And, and with good elected officials and people that re- remember that the foundation of, of our economy is built on manufacturing and organized labor and start giving us the opportunity to fight back and, 
and quit trying to fight against us, we can do a lot more for our, our members and our communities. That's exactly right. That's yeah. exactly right. So tell us a little bit more. You mentioned the Labor Party, but uh, just recently, you said that was a few years ago. Yes, sir. Um, but just recently at the convention in St. Louis, which I unfortunately had to work for, I wasn't able to make, um, there was talk about that as well, about organized labor forming a Labor Party. Um, yeah, I wasn't at that one. Um, one of the things that I talked to, the Missouri Democratic Party set up their caucuses, and they did not have a labor caucus originally. And I was frustrated by it. And like you, I'm not afraid to stand up and say what I think needs to be said. And at Hannibal Days last year, I stood up and I said that the uh, Missouri Democratic Party is, is built on a foundation of organized labor. And for us not to have our own caucus, I think, is a slap in the face yeah. to the thousands of UAW, the thousands of union members that went out and knocked doors and phone banked for the Democratic candidates that are out there to support our jobs. Yeah. And I think there's been changes made to make sure that we have a, a seat at the table now that we can help influence and drive the change that will be there to protect our jobs. So are so, we going to be, uh, I'm on the state party, I didn't hear about this yet, yeah. but are we going to be instituting a labor I caucus? don't know exactly how to restructuring it. Um, I had not talked to Stephen Weber in a couple of months, mm -hmm. and I'm not trying to call anybody out or anything like that. <laughs> Stephen Weber, give him a call. Yes. Just saying. <laughs> I'm not afraid. No, I know Steve. He's a great guy. He's, yeah. he's a and great he's guy. He's done an excellent job with the he Missouri has. Democratic Party. I am really surprised at how well he's done. He's building a I'm great not. team. Yeah. Um, I, I had a big question mark. Yeah. I knew that he was going to uh, try really hard. I knew that he was going to be good for the job. Right. I just didn't know how good. And I think that he's done he's exceeding. amazing I, I believe job. he's exceeding expectations. Exceeding all expectations. Yeah, I so. first met him when he Shout was... Shout out to Stephen Weber. Stephen, brother. <laughs> throwing up the horns for you. He ran for a state rep when I first met him, and he was fresh out of the Marine Corps. And uh, I had a son that was in the Marine Corps about the same time. And it was fun to talk to him because he had straight up and every, and he's still yeah. like that, you yeah. know, he's still like that. And uh, when you get a chance to talk to him, you find out that there's nobody more down to earth than what he is. Yeah. And his heart and soul is into trying to rebuild the Democratic Party. And he's putting in 110% effort yeah. every stinking day. He's Absolutely. been all over the state. He, he's doing so, an excellent job. Yeah. And uh, I, I, my first guest was Winston Apple. He was the one who ran against Stephen Weber for the chair. Mm -hmm. um, and... I love Winston Apple. I think he's better served doing what he's doing, and I think we made the great decision, or a great decision, right. in Stephen Weber. Um, I think he's doing great. He's put a lot of miles behind it, and he really is someone who wants the Democratic Party of Missouri to improve, mm -hmm. and when you have somebody like that at the top that's willing to put in the work, that's willing to lead by example, it really is a powerful message to send to all other Democrats around the state. Absolutely. It absolutely is. And for the next-gen Dems out there, you guys are the future. I'm old. I'm about done. Um, you guys are the future. Get educated. Learn about the issues. Learn about what organized labor can do for our country and what it has done. Don't forget the history. But it, it comes down to, to your generation, you know, and um, I'm happy. I'm happy to see the enthusiasm and the excitement that, that you are bringing to the party, that you're bringing to the political spectrum, and the questions that you're answering and the, and the agendas that you're pushing are questions and answers that need to be pushed and, yeah. and uh, need and, to be asked. And you know why I'm doing this is because there's not enough news organizations who are brave enough or, or have the interest and the things that are important to uh, everyday people. Part of the reason that I've gotten involved is because I don't feel someone who has a lot of money, who's had a lot of, of uh, you know, maybe a silver spoon in their mouth, who's had a lot of things given to them, handed to them. 
I don't feel that those people can represent people who struggle as well as someone who knows the struggle. Right. Um, and that's why I got involved is because I'm just yeah. a regular guy and I feel the pain that everybody out here feels. And uh, I decided to step up. I think that more people need to step up and become the leaders of a new generation. It, it just takes trying hard enough uh, to get out there and to make real change in your community. Right. So I think that, that working together with certain organizations like UAW, like Organized Labor, uh, LGBTQ, um, you know, social justice movements, make sure that, that uh, equality across the board is happening, or at least we're working towards it, is so important. And once people see that we're walking that walk, and once people understand that um, the resistance is real, and we're not going to back down, and we're going to keep doing what we got to do to improve the lives of everybody that we can, as many people as we can, um, they're going to get on board. And right. it, what I'm doing is trying to also lead by example of saying, you know, you don't have to be a career politician in order to get in here, because I really dislike the word politician. When people call me politician, I really hate it, because... Yeah. Um, it has such a, a dirty taste in my mouth. I, I like public servant because that's exactly what we should be and that's exactly what we're direly missing. Right. I agree uh, 100%. So. Excellent. Excellent. Uh, with the, the amount of people that um, in the labor uh, movement that voted for Donald Trump, what do you think uh, they thought when as soon as the, the uh, Republican leadership got into Jefferson City, as soon as they got to, to Washington, D.C., they started doing everything they could do to destroy organized labor. And one of the first things Greitens did was pass right to work. Right. There's a certain amount of our members that would vote Republican no matter what. Yeah. I truly believe that Jesus could run as a Democrat and they'd still vote Republican. Uh, to, and we're not going to be able I, to change I know a Jewish words. carpenter that ran yeah. recently. He was non-union, though. <laughs> <laughs> it's a true story. <laughs> but the, uh, I thought you were talking about Joseph, Jesus' dad. <laughs> but anyway. He's actually um, talking about Senator Sanders. Oh, uh, well, yeah, that's right. <laughs> Jewish carpenter. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, but there's a certain amount of members that are going to vote Republican no matter what. And we're not going to get those votes. Mm -hmm. What we have to do, and I have three favorite words, irritate, educate, and motivate. Yeah. We need to irritate our members with what right to work is going to do to our ability to negotiate a good contract for them, how it's going to weaken our union. Mm -hmm. We need to educate them on how we can fight back, on who we can write to, the getting the ballot initiative, 310,587 signatures. That to, was amazing. It was. in Jeff City when it we was. delivered it was those. A, and absolutely amazing. There was an energy in the air that was absolutely powerful. It was. So to irritate them with the facts about the negative things that are going to happen when we start voting for people that don't protect our interests and then educate them on why a, a candidate is the best candidate for us to endorse. Mm -hmm. And it's not enough to, like I said, to go out and say vote for Hillary Clinton. We have to say why we think she would have been the better candidate. I honestly believe that... Part of the reason that Hillary Clinton didn't do as, as well as she, and she did win the popular vote, yes, by the she way. Did. She um, did. But the, part of the reason that it wasn't a complete landslide is because she was running more against Donald Trump and not for the things right. that were important. But you, that's one of the problems that, that I see in politics is so many times they run against the other person mm -hmm. and they spend more time talking negative about the other person than they do about what their beliefs are. Yeah. You know, about why they think they're the better candidate. Um, we have two special elections coming up in the St. Louis, uh, well, eastern side of the state. 
uh, Jim Skaggs and Mike Revis, mm -hmm. two dynamic candidates for the Democratic Party. Mike is a, a next-gen Dem. I don't know if you have an opportunity to talk to or meet him. I haven't yet. I haven't. Great, great kid. And that's um, yeah. what, 97th what that? That's uh, February 6th, 97th February District. 6th. Yeah. And uh, his dad is a retired union carpenter. His mother was a school teacher in Rockwood School District. And when you get a chance to talk to him, you find out that he's a very progressive, intelligent, and articulate young man that can do great, um, great things in Jeff City for us. Those are the kind of candidates that we need. Jim Skaggs down at 144th, presiding commissioner, Fitz's district, great guys. Um, we need to find candidates, and we need to talk about why we think they're the best candidates to represent us. So what I did when the UAW finally, the Midwestern State Cap Conference of the UAW, finally made the endorsement to endorse both candidates, I contacted them and I asked them for a brief bio is about themselves, but also why they think they would be the best candidate to represent the United Auto Workers that live in their districts. And they both sent me a little paragraphs back, and we're going to try and include that in mailings that go out to them and make sure that, to our members to make sure that they know don't just vote for Mike Revis or Jim Skaggs. This is why we think they're the better candidates. Yeah. And uh, I, I hope that they both win, and I'm excited for the change that they could possibly bring uh, to the state legislature. Yeah. I think there needs to be more of that. I think that, that this paradigm of left versus right, red versus blue, um, is really losing the opportunity for people to become educated voters and to learn who they're voting for. Right. Um, a lot of the, and most people know Bernie brought me here. I stayed on my own, uh, but Bernie brought me here, and, and it was because he said, you know, uh, we need people to come out and represent regular people. We need regular people right. representing regular people, and I, it resounded with me. I was a big uh, fan of Bernie. I voted for Bernie. Um, primary, I didn't have an issue voting for Hillary at all. Yeah. There's a lot of people that were Bernie people that said, well, I will never vote for Hillary. Yeah. I, I'm not one of yeah. them. And that goes back to the third party thing. Go ahead. Yeah, well, I know in her worst day, in her darkest hour, she'd have been head and shoulders above the current president. Oh, yeah. So I had zero problem pulling to, to lever for Hillary Clinton. Yeah. yeah. Uh, most people don't realize, and a lot of the people, uh, my friends even, that voted for uh, Bernie and then couldn't bring themselves to vote for Hillary and the uh, general, um, don't realize how much we are in a two-party system. Right. They don't realize it, that, that by voting for that other candidate who may seem more pure to you, who may seem more um, progressive to you, uh, may have definitely hurt the chances of someone who may not be your ideal candidate, but is definitely better than the other guy. Yeah. I, I look at politics a lot like sports. St. Louis Cardinals fan all my life, born and raised in the eastern side of the state. And... Uh, Every time, every time I watch a game, there's not a, a game I watch that I don't think, why isn't Matheny pulling him? He's, he's pitched too long or he's tired. Or, <laughs> I'd never pinch hit him. Everybody can be an armchair quarterback. Yeah. But I'm going to be a Cardinals fan until the day I die. I may not have been a fan of Hillary Clinton, uh, her trade issues, um, but Donald Trump campaigned on a bill of goods that most people should have saw right through. He campaigned as a populist. So I'm going to end NAFTA on day one. <laughs> Where's that at? Yeah, you know, How? yeah. He didn't do hardly anything that he promised that he would do that would benefit working people that voted for him. He didn't give health care to everyone paid nope. for by the government because nope. I know he said that on like a nope. sixty minutes or a prime time interview. Yeah, 
so that's he did, has done very little that he campaigned on, and I'm not here to beat him up. He's the president. He's my president. I may not appreciate it. I may get some flack for saying that he's my president. He's his president. He's my president. <laughs> I, I didn't vote for the goofball, but um, he is my president. And I still can't accept him. Man <laughs> lost by three million votes. He lost. I, and here's another reason why I can't accept him. It, it, the first one I let slide. But this is the second Republican president who has lost the election and, and still so been placed right, in the White House. Right, right. Well, the, I, I can't forgive it twice. No, it's difficult. <laughs> and, it's, and it's a tough pill to swallow, especially when you see some of the promises that he made. And the carrier thing out in, in uh, Indiana, he's talking about how he brought all these jobs to Indiana. And all those jobs are now And all gone. those jobs are gone. And all the people that voted for him are now saying, what the hell? And you start looking at the coal miners that voted for him and the steel workers that voted for him. Where you are know, those jobs? Where are those jobs? And yeah. I'm here to protect the coal industry. They're losing jobs. Yeah. Or losing jobs, so and he then can... he just put a thirty percent tariff on any. Now I'm an American first kind of guy. Sure. I, I, we need to build things here. We need to to uh, manufacture here. We need to create jobs for Americans, um, and we need to make sure that we have a better economy for all of America. But right now we're in a system where we get eighty percent of our solar panel goods that that are used to create solar panel from other countries. Right. Um, and he just put a 30% tariff on 80% solar. Right. Um, and solar is actually an employer, a larger employer than all oil or coal that's jobs right. combined. Absolutely. Yeah. So Absolutely correct. Um, that's another, that kind of goes back to we're going to have to stifle innovation in, in, to prevent these jobs from being lost, to right. prevent jobs in coal and, and oil from being lost. We're literally going to have to stop innovation and stifle inventions. And The majority of the time, those jobs are still going to be lost because mm-hmm. you really can't stop progress. Progress has got momentum. and you Nor can't, should we. <laughs> no, nor should we. And you may, you may be able to slow it down. You may have thrown a speed bump out in front of it, but they will recover. They will survive, and they will find a way to get through it. Um, tariffs and that, everybody thinks tariffs are so good. If they're so good, then why haven't we done more of them? You know, they're not. They don't help. All it's going to do is uh, put more people out of work, more people on welfare. It's going to drive the cost of solar panels through the roof when it doesn't have to be. Right. Uh, Completely unnecessary. Right. Um, I I look at a future where not only are our cars going to be self-driving, but I look at a future where we derive all of our electricity from our sun, our wind, our water, and our earth. Right. And once we get to that situation uh, and we can do it cleanly and sustainably we won't need these other industries so we have to look to a future where those industries aren't needed right and what do we do then right um so that that's going to kind of go into what do you see the future of cars what do you see the future of of uaw manufacturing uaw manufacturing will continue to build world-class vehicles obviously um that'll be the goal and we'll adapt to the changes that come to us. We've adapted over a course of time where, you know, I'm old enough to remember when you bought a car, when you bought a car, it didn't even have a passenger side mirror. Yeah. And every car had a cigarette lighter and an ashtray and an AM radio if it had a radio or no, and no air conditioning. Now, when you buy a car, it's a computerized mm-hmm. office for a lot of people. And... Uh, UAW is my made. first car. I had to, to roll the window up with know, the, one imagine. of those rollers and pull it up at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the kids today, the kids today, they they don't know hardship, right? Uh-uh. 
But the uh, we struggled. We struggled you know, with he, windows that wouldn't roll up. And, until you got to crank up your own window, you don't know how hard you had. That's it. right. That's right. <laughs> You've got it easy. But, Although you look back to cars that you used to have to crank them to get them started, yeah. and oh, that's it's true. amazing that's true. how and most people don't realize that electric cars were the first automobiles. Yeah. They don't know that. Right. And they don't even know that uh, Henry Ford actually created a car out of hemp. Did you know that? I did not know that. Yeah, Henry Ford created a car out of hemp that was, I believe, a third the weight, um, but ten times as strong as the cars that were being built then. And there's actually a video of him hitting it with a sledgehammer and it bouncing off. I'll, be have, I'll have to look that up. That's it, interesting. It's awesome, yeah. yeah. But no, the, the, auto, the auto workers and have adapted to the changes through over the course of time and uh, we'll continue to do so our training centers uh keep up with, we've got a training center in detroit and our apprentices go up there and they learn the latest technology and as the technology changes our training centers adapt with that as well um, the goal for us is to have as many members as we can building as many quality vehicles as we can and representing uh, representing them to the best of our ability and we, we know and recognize that there's changes in the works. Our members know that, but we also know that if we're going to keep up with the times, we're going to have to adapt to those changes. Yeah, yeah. So, You're going to have to grow right. with, with the industries that are coming out, um, much like some of the other industries that are coming out. I don't think that cable, uh, thank you, I don't think that cable news organizations ever really expected internet screaming and so now they're all kind of scrambling to get on board with that. They right. see Netflix as such a big deal, and now you've got HBO Go, and you've got, uh, you know, Charter has probably their own app, and Uverse probably has their own app where you can watch TV on the go with your right. mobile device. They never really expected that. So no. I like to, to think of a, a Wayne Gretzky quote. This is actually the second time I've quoted it on, on this show, and you're our third uh, guest. So the quote... Uh, that bounces around in my head sometimes from Wayne Gretzky is don't go where the puck is, go where the puck is going right. to be. Right. Um, and that's what I, I try to envision with most things. Right. Well, what's going to be the next step in that? What, where are we going with that? So I, I know that we're going to be building quality cars with GM and UAW is going to be doing such a great job because they still do find people working at UAW before I ever met Glenn. Some of, of my better friends in this journey have come from UAW. Um, so I want to throw a shout out to Brad, Mike Melson, uh, Brad Heights, and yeah. uh, Kim Cook Bell. Um, they they were some people that I really got along with well yeah. when I first started this journey, and uh, they even helped out. Uh, you know, my last race with you know sign locations and things like that, shooting me a call and saying, "Hey, this is a good spot." Right. They, you know, right. so uh, we were kind of tag team in a little bit of this area, mm -hmm. and um, I. I I don't know. And I'm looking for, uh, are we going to have flying cars someday, Glenn? Are we going to have, <laughs> what are we going to have? I don't know, but <laughs> the guys in the shop were talking about uh, Dick Tracy. A lot of people are not, not, not old enough to know Dick Tracy was a cartoon character way back when I was a kid, and he could talk on his watch. Yeah. You know. And, and now you got that. And now you got a watch. You could talk on your watch. And, yeah. and the Jetsons with the flying cars and the treadmill and the, the talking TV and everything. So a lot of the stuff we saw in cartoons as kids is, is actually coming true today. Yeah. Flying cars, man, I don't know. That's kind of scary to me because I'm not a big fan of flying. Yeah. yeah. I, and plus, there's a lot of people out here that can't drive too well. Right. So, right. I mean, yeah. you put so them in a car that can fly and it may be a problem. <laughs> yeah. You know, when I heard... Uh, you were talking about favorite sayings and Wayne Gretzky's, and I heard a saying. And when we were talking about 
the Democratic Party, and the door is open for labor to come in and, and help drive the agenda of the Democratic Party. Yeah. And it kind of reminds me of the saying that I heard Jim Skaggs say, if you're not at the table, you're on the menu. Yeah. The door's open. Take a seat at the table. It's actually drive absolutely it, you know. true. So it, That's one of the things I say to, to my third-party voting friends is, look, I, I love the platform of the Green Party. Um, you know, I... I used to consider myself an independent. Before I ever got into politics, I considered myself a futurist, Mm -hmm. um, named after one of my mentors from afar, uh, Jack Fresco, who coined, I I wouldn't say he coined that phrase, but he called himself a futurist. And I I was kind of thinking along the same lines as him uh, as far as where is the future going? How do we we get ahead of the puck? Um, And so... You see, you see these people voting um, for people that I, I always say, if someone doesn't earn your vote, don't vote for them. Don't vote for them. You, right. you, you have no obligation to be involved in, in the political process whatsoever. But then you have no reason to uh, be angry over the decisions that are made by the people who did get at the table, right. who did make their voice heard. And one of the things... <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, One of the things that I see is that if you don't, and one of the things that got me involved was that if you don't get in the game, if you don't pick a team, you don't get on the field. Right. And if you don't get on the field, you don't get to play and you don't get to make any game changing plays. And if you're not in that position, then you're merely standing out in the parking lot shouting at the building. So if you want to get involved, if you want to make game-changing plays, you got to get off the sidelines. you got to get off the bench. you got to get in the game. Right. Um, what are some ways that people can get involved in UAW and get into that game because you guys have so many different facets that, that you're involved in? Right. Um, if someone wanted to, to start a career with UAW uh, in GM, how could they do that? Well, obviously, unless we're hiring, which right now we're not, but when we're hiring and they come to work for us, we have the various committees. We have the Women's Committee, the Civil Civil and Human Rights Committee, our CAP Committee. That's where you met Brad and, and Mike, and I believe you met Michelle Whitley. She was part of CAP, and she's still she's the co-chair of CAP now. Jean Hyde is our chair. Um, when you To the members out there that are belong to the unions, pick a committee and get involved in that committee. I was involved with the IBEW. I walked door-to-door for candidates when I was with the IBEW. We can't do it without the support of our members. And we have got to find ways to get them engaged. Um, our doors are open to every member to get involved. And a person just can't walk off the street and say, well, I want to be in the UAW. They have to be working for GM. And uh, But for the events that we go to and the, the things that we get involved in, the door-to-door, the campaigning, uh, we have about a dozen people are going to be showing up to go campaign for Mike Revis on Saturday at one of his walks. So what time is that? Let's throw a shout out for Mike. That starts out at 10 a.m. I do not have the address in front of me, but it's in Arnold, I believe. And uh, again, he's a young, energetic uh, Democrat, and I believe that he really has a chance to, to turn that district. Excellent, so, excellent. Yeah, I, I think with the failures of the Republican Party since they got all the power, right. um, that there's a blue wave expected and hopefully a blue wave coming. But you don't want to expect it too much. No. You you want to know that you're still going to have to work for it. You're still going to have to educate your voter right. base. 
Um, and you're still going to have to let them know why they need to vote for you as opposed to the other guy and not even really bring up the other guy. Talk about what your issues are. Talk about the things that you're going to try to change, the future that you're going to try to bring about. And I think that any seat is winnable. Right. Um, with Mike Revis, we – Saturday, you said? Saturday. We would like to throw a shout-out and hopefully get enough people there uh, to, to turn that seat. So Mike Revis – is having a canvassing event on Saturday. You said 10 a.m.? 10 a.m. I'm looking it up real quick on, on the events. 10 a.m.? Um, and we would like to try to get as many people out for Mike as we possibly can because every voice that can uh, oppose the disastrous agenda that the Republicans the have caused um, is a, a vote for the people and a vote for the working man uh, and women. Um, the canvassing is Saturday, this Saturday, January 27th. It is at the Oaks Landing Recreational Association, and that's 1111 Newport Landing Drive in Fenton, Missouri. So hopefully you guys all get out there January 27th, this Saturday, um, and we're going to flip that seat. We need you. I mean, we're going to be out there. We're going to be working. I'm not sure that I'm able to make it. This is actually the first uh, that, that I knew. Um, right. But the thing is, is that... We're going to be working for the people. We need you to work for us. We need you to help get us elected. And then we're going to be that voice in the crowd that is going to represent you. I, I don't know if you realize this, but the DNC members um, prior to us, uh, prior last June, uh, we unseated myself and three other quote-unquote Bernie Kratz unseated the four uh, people who were running from the quote-unquote establishment side. Um, and I think one of the big differences that we've seen, that I'm seeing, is that prior to the four that, that got elected, three and myself, um, it was more of a, an idea that people elected us, to, the idea before us was the idea that people elected them to represent them to the best of what they thought that they should do. Um, but with the first, uh, the new four, um, it's more of a representative thing. And I think that's kind of where we're going is I want to know how people want me to vote on the DNC on the national level. Right. So I reach out. Uh, Persephone DeCopolis reaches out. Megan Aaliyah Green, who's running for president of the city council in, in St. Louis, uh, Winston Apple. Uh, my first guest and, and DNC member, we all were reaching out to say, how do you want us to vote? How can we represent you a as good as possible? And I think that there's going to be a lot more of that. As long as you are willing to stand with people, people will be willing to stand with you. But they, they're so disenfranchised and they're so angry uh, that they haven't been listened to and that they don't feel that they've been fought for. Right. That's, that we really need to re-educate people and let them know that there are people out here that are right. going to fight for you, and it, it's not all about the big money interest. Everything you're saying sounds very similar to what I faced when I started my campaign for president of Local 2250. Uh, there were a lot of people that felt like that their comments were falling on deaf ears, their issues were not being attended to, and various things like that. And it's the same in the Democratic Party. Um, we can't represent them if we don't take time to hear what their issues are. And a show like this where you'll be able to get comments and feedback from some of the people that have listened to it. And I hope we've answered the questions. I hope it's been a good show for them. 
but this is an opportunity for them to get insights as to what you think about organized labor, what where we in organized labor come from and what we think about the Democratic Party. We don't agree with everything the Democratic Party does, but whoever agrees with everything right. that they're being talked about. What we You're never going to get that kind of perfect no. situation. No, what we want to do is make sure that we make our, rep, our membership aware of the fact that we are looking to drive the economy. We are looking to drive the agenda, and we are pushing a, a pro-labor agenda because we know that when labor is strong, the economy is strong, the middle class is strong, and we do work to float every boat in the harbor. Yeah. You know, that is our number one goal. And when it comes down to the social organizations, when it comes down to the social issues and the civil rights of everybody, we're going to be there for them. That's our responsibility. That's something that has been instilled in us from the beginning of organized labor, the history of organized labor. And again, it goes back to many, many years, the 40-hour work week, um, fair wages, doing everything we can. The weekend. The weekend. Um, <laughs> no child labor yes. laws. Yes. So <laughs> we're going to be there. We're going to continue to fight the fight to, to the best of our ability. But for so long, we have taken, we have not worked to have a seat at the table. And we were on the menu. Well, my job and my goal is to get everybody in organized labor, the next-gen Dems, to take that seat at the table. If that seat's open, if there's an open seat, slide into that chair and drive that agenda. Yeah. Push that agenda because you're not going to be wrong. You'll be right more than you're wrong. Yeah. So that's and, our goal. And when you stand on the right side of history, history will stand with you. That's exactly and, right. And the people will stand with you. Exactly right. And I think that's extremely important for people to really realize is that you can't, you can't armchair quarterback this thing. Right. If you're going to get out there and make change, you're going to have to physically get out there and make change. And even if you're you're someone who is handicapped and not physically able to say go knock doors, you can make phone calls. You can write letters. You can share things on Facebook and get your friends to share things on Facebook and spread these messages um, because you're not alone. You're you not alone. A, voice. a lot of people feel like they were left uh, hung out to dry by their. Uh, representatives and by their government in general right. there's a whole lot of anti-government feel out there and we'll get to, to what the republicans are doing to further that in just a second um, but the people need to realize that they can get out there and they can fight um, and if they don't someone else is going to be fighting for things that may not be important right. to them um, like multinational corporations offshoring the american dream sure um, and what i'm seeing is that uh, you know, you get get a Republican governor in like Greitens, and the first thing he does is pass uh, right to work, and people people get even more angry. They get even more. They feel even more helpless. Um, you get people in there that that want to um, uh, make it harder to vote, make it more difficult to vote, like they mm -hmm. just did in Missouri. Sure. Uh, now, now I'm gonna have to get apparently a, uh, a passport just to be able to get on a flight. Right. And and. They're trying to make everything more difficult. Uh, but what we need to do is we need to come together and we need to not feel like, like it's a helpless situation because that's what they want. That is that's, what they want. Yeah. They, and you see that. I mean, you see apathy throughout the, the state. We see it in our union. We see people that say, why I vote? It doesn't make a difference. Virginia came down to a tie, a coin toss, yeah. flipped a seat in yeah. Virginia. So That's a huge deal. Every vote, every vote counts. And for people to start thinking that my vote, vote, vote don't count, my voice won't be heard, it's absolutely untrue because there's one of us are never as strong as all of us. And when we start realizing that there are more of us than there are them, there, we will never match them corporate dollars. UAW yeah. raised over $2 million 
and their, their cap drive, their community action program voluntary contributions. NRA gave but Trump. Then you got the Koch brothers who well, will, will. The NRA alone gave Trump over $30 million. How many union members are members of the NRA? So you're putting money in to go, that goes to candidates that go to take away your rights. Yeah. And and it's and a, may not even realize it. And they may not. But the NRA gave Trump over thirty million dollars, and there's no way we in organized labor can compete with that kind of money. There is no way. Right, right. The only way we can compete with them is irritate, educate, motivate, irritate our members as to what voting for Donald Trump's going to do to them, mm-hmm. educate them on why Hillary Clinton would have been the better candidate, and motivate them to get out and vote. We want to turn out our high, higher percentage of voting. Want to make sure all our members are registered to vote. Well, I think make that's sure also that. incumbent on the candidate. If the candidate is not uh, showing people that they're willing to fight for the things that are right. important to them, right. um, that's kind of on the candidate. And that—that that was one of the problems that we had with Hillary Clinton. You know, very seldom, very few times, unless she was pressed on it, she didn't talk about her positions on trade. No. Unless she was. She's pressed a woman. On. It's her turn. She's not Trump. Right. Those no. are the three things I heard over and over right. again from her. Right. And the American people needed more. Right. Even if she did win the popular vote, it could have been a landslide if the American people knew more. And she wasn't yeah. running against something. She was running for something. Right. In fairness, what was it, 60,000 votes in three states? Michigan, Wisconsin, mm-hmm. and Ohio? Pennsylvania? Three, what, Ohio Pennsylvania, I think. Three states, 60,000 votes. Those 60,000 votes in those three states go the other way. She's president, mm-hmm. like it or not. Um, Going back still, to Bernie Sanders, though, then we mentioned that he would have done uh, very well against Donald Trump, mm-hmm. um, and that's actually the math. The states that you mentioned, two out of the three, I believe, were states that Bernie won. Right. Um, so those are states that Bernie could have flipped. Well, he away was a better Donald candidate. I, he was a he he was more of a populist candidate than Donald Trump. The difference is, is Bernie Sanders actually had an idea of how to get the legislation passed. He had been working in the state in the United States government for a long time. Yeah. So he actually had a platform that he could run on. There were things that he knew what he could and couldn't promise and whether he could deliver on those promises. You had Donald Trump out there that was promising then and after repeal and replace Obamacare. Mexico was going to pay for the wall. And you got oh, Vincente, yeah. Vincente Fox flipping him off and saying, no, we're not. You know? <laughs> That's exactly Literally. Right. So, Although he's coming out now and saying, let's build the wall, but let's build the wall together. I, I'm not going to pay for this wall, yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't see, I mean, do the people who are building this wall not know about ladders? Yeah. Um, <laughs> do they That's, not know about people with little shovels? Yeah, Kate, I was mean, it Kate Bailey Hutchinson or there was a writer out of Texas. She was, no, it wasn't her. Molly Evans out of Texas said, show me a 30-foot wall and I'll show you a 32-foot ladder. That's exactly <laughs> right. Know? That's exactly uh, right. There's how many Where miles there's of ocean? Where there's a will, there's a way. Sure. And if they want to get out of that country, they're going to. Right. We need to have a better path to citizenship. Right. We do. We do. So, well, Curtis, it's been great. I appreciate the opportunity. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. (laughs) Technical difficulty. Yeah, technical difficulty. (laughs) She's fine. She survived. That's right. That's right. Lights fell on her. Chrissy is awesome. And, uh, yeah, I mean, here at Next Gen Dems is exactly what we're going to do. We're going to hang out. We're going to talk about the things that are important to people. I've been trying to shout out and get people to ask us questions for our guests. 
Uh, glad that we got a question today. Me we too. got a question last time. It's a good question. The first episode was 300 views on just the video on the Facebook page. Second one was 400 views on just the video on the Facebook page. So I am hoping for 500 views for this episode. And we're getting some, a lot of downloads on iTunes and podcast.com. And right. we're getting a number of subscribers. So hopefully this message can, can get out and reach the right people. Right. Um, but, but before we get out of here, let me ask you uh, one last question. Do you, do you think that you'll ever maybe go on to, to run for an office yourself? I don't think so. I ran for county clerk. I'm from Crawford County, uh, Sullivan, Missouri. It's out in the boonies. I ran for county clerk in 2010 and uh, was defeated 3-1 to one in a Republican sweep by a young gentleman. That, he's a nice kid, you know, real nice guy. I don't see myself running for office. I would do a little bit better job out in the trenches working to get people elected that can represent our members. I think that's where my calling is, and that's where I'll probably stay. Excellent. Excellent. Awesome. Um, well, Glenn, thank you so much thank for you. coming on. It's a good time. You have been watching Next Gen Dems. Of course, you can check out everything that's going on with UAW at UAWLocal2250.net. You can also check out everything going on with Next Gen Dems on Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, podcast.com, and iTunes. So you can go out there and check us out. What are you, what are you, what is this? Ah, yes, and share the link. Share the um, link, all right, great. Chrissy, Chrissy is uh, always here to help us out, right. so uh, check us out, follow us, share us, uh, get the message out there, because we're trying to step up to the plate, and we're trying to uh, not only educate, but motivate and mobilize there and help organize uh, the resistance and everybody who's willing to step up to the plate and fight for the things that are important to your community, fight for the things that are important to your state and your country. Um, and we're a platform for that. So that's exactly our mission. Um, please feel free to add us. Please feel free to check out the UAW's website. Again, UAWLocal2250.net. Um, and thanks for watching Next Gen Dems. Thank you. Th thanks for having thanks again, Curtis. Uh, the time to, to come on out. Glenn Coggy Jr., ladies and gentlemen. Thank you.